Footnotes of History, the podcast which is often accused of building castles in the sky. With you as always are myself, Daniel Nesbitt, and my sadly less than imaginary co-host, Tim Philpott. <laughs> less than sadly less than. That is so rude. Know, it is I quite mean. I'm tempted to just walk out now, like uh, some extremely, well... Like that right-wing guy who Andrew Neil upset. Well, I was thinking more like some really oversensitive monarch of some kind. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes um, more sense to the yeah, episode. That would probably be more thematic. Yeah. But yeah, so what we're we discussing today, talking about yeah. things. Today we're talking about the man called the Sw- the Swan King. Swan, yeah, the, the Swan. Swan King. See, I went to say Ludwig II and then started saying Swan King. Yeah. <laughs> the Swan King. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, the Swan King, Ludwig. Lud- <laughs> so you're doing it now. Well, it's, it's Ludwig in English, isn't it? Yeah. Ludwig, I suppose. Yeah. In, in German, and Swan, whichever way you say it. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> fair, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Ludwig II of Bavaria, the Swan King, who ruled, uh, well, I, I feel like it's sort of almost a um, little bit humiliating, sort of a little bit of a humiliating rule, rulership, I suppose, or reign, mm-hmm. during the mid-19th century, just as the rest of Germany was being amalgamated, uh, sorry, the rest of the German states were being amalgamated into a giant Prussian-German empire, mm. basically. Yeah, and I think you know, even if you've not heard of Ludwig II, you'll know his castles, which we'll come into yes. later. Um, so you look forward to that, really. Yeah. Um, I suppose if you if you were to take any kind of Disney castle, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Actually, Disney, I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. But that is, I suppose, what, it, what the hook is, isn't it? Mm. A Disney castle is almost certainly based on yeah, completely um, based on his well, his castle, Neuschwanstein, yeah. which is the uh, which is the most famous the one. one. Um, which well, I think I think basically we should put a, probably. If you've, uh, if anyone who's listening has seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, it's where the evil German rulers live. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. normally steal children and yes. a car. Yeah, that kind of sense. I forgot yeah. about that bit actually. Um, plus, when did that film come out? I don't Everything, know. Everything's very Prussian as well, by the way. That I think they just based like, that. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. they must have just based it on. Yeah, what's our archetypal German? Yeah, we've got this castle. Let's put the fill it with stereotypical Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a child snatcher. Yeah, and a yeah, who... Um, it's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, very, very terrifying. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, kind of lost track a little bit. But yeah, so show notes page is going to be funnotshistory.com slash 29. Uh, we can find various notes and listen back to the episode and also our glorious picture of the castle. Mm-hmm. Well, the castles, but we'll do a slideshow. Can't yeah, there's loads of ones. Yeah. So. Well, that's to the forty. Yeah. <laughs> that's the extra hook. Yeah. So uh, I, suppose, I suppose, well, my... What's your sort of overview uh, take on this episode, just from your notes? Just what's your kind of well, it's kind of an, it's an interesting one because it has so much different stuff in it. So yeah. it's got in the one hand Ludwig and his rule, and it shows the limits of what many monarchs were up against in yeah. sort of mid to late nineteenth century. Yeah, obviously it's got the nice castles, which are kind of palaces of fancy, really yes. for him. Yeah, but also it's got on the other hand. Bismarck, unification yes. in Germany. Like, re, like real, the, the real politics. I think, exactly. I think it's, it's a good point, actually. The real politics of actual power versus the person who's supposed to, you know, theoret- you know the king, mm-hmm. theoret- you know, divine, supposedly, theoretically in charge, etc. Versus yeah, the yeah. Iron Chancellor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the, well, and also the sort of ins and outs, the slightly sinister way that he was. Uh, Deposed. Essentially, yeah, yeah, essentially edged out and uh, deposed and uh, I think also murdered. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. all to the company. That's, yeah, yeah. that's all controversial. But yeah. but I think you had an interesting way of looking at the episode, didn't you? Yes, you I did, a, yeah. An interesting yeah. template so, for it. So Ludwig II is, um, was king of Bavaria, and Bavaria is uh, one of the largest states in Germany, but it's also one of the... It's sort of a... It's, it, basically, Ludwig II is kind of a personification of what Bavaria is in Germany, if that makes sense. Hmm. And in particular in this period. time, as yeah, well. especially yeah, especially in this period. I mean, Bavaria is still quite unique now. We'll mm-hmm. go into why in a minute. But um, at the time, it was very resistant to Prussia dominating it, uh, and it was very resistant to being absorbed into uh, the German, um, well, North, yeah, North German Confederation and also the Empire afterwards. And actually, retained quite a lot of uh, sort of in, sort of idiosyncratic kind of cultural mm. and symbolic things of its own state afterwards, including its army, actually. Um, and this is sort of a, as I said Ludwig II very resistant to being dominated by anybody including his own government um, and uh, and um, sort of very um, well he had his own idiosyncrasies as well didn't exactly, he? Like he, yeah. he wasn't going to be playing to an analysis tune basically he had his own sort of insular yes. sort of feeling about how he wanted to live his life really kind of like Bavaria yeah. as you said 
was wanting to basically rule itself, be its own thing. Yes. And, and, and you, you could even say that, you know, Bavaria sort of went slightly mad in the sense that its culture is sort of, it's pretty, pretty I mean, you know, if you look back, look at it now, it's quite, quite, it's famous for all the sort of generic German things that are not sinister, basically, you know, beer gardens and Oktoberfest and things like this, the kind of folk music and blah, that kind of thing. And similarly, Ludwig II is sort of slightly zany mm. in his own way, building castles and so on. Um, but yeah, so I think I think we should probably start with a bit of context. Um, in terms of, so Ludwig ruled from 1845, oh well, was, was living between 1845 and 1886. Uh, and there's a huge amount of change that happens in that period, not notably, uh, or not least, 1848, you know, the whole of European landscape basically changes between those years. Uh, you, know, was, um, you know, the formation of Germany and the formation of Italy. Um, in 1848, you had uh, forces unleashed that were an early form of kind of nationalism. Um, you had the attempt at unif- unifying Italy, sort of kicking off down on the Mediterranean. And you also had an attempt by a sort of uh, ragbag of kind of liberals and I suppose German nationalists to try and create a united Germany. Um, which is later brutally suppressed by its own, um, by, by its kings and dukes and so on. Um, but, the, but this kind of feeling was still there. And then by 1870, it's almost like uh, the more powerful factors within the European landscape had created the aversion of what those nationalists wanted, but like a kind of Frankenstein version, <laughs> like the German, yeah. Ger- you know, Germany was, was dominated by one, state that ruled essentially with an iron fist, as you said, Prussia, uh, led by Bismarck, and Italy was sort of dominated by the North and had, um, well, had some serious, I think it's a serious imbalance in terms of the power of the South versus the North. So we, so we, yeah, so essentially we have the creation of several states in Europe that were not there before, between this period. Um, um, and, um, but, but, but this being said, it's not like it was a, an easy process, and there was one uh, if we're talking about Germany specifically, there was one state that sort of was the most resistant and the most, uh, well, also the most reluctant to join the German Empire, and that was Bavaria. Yeah, and Bavaria, just to give you a bit of context on yeah. the state itself, uh, we're talking about it now, it's a region of southeast Germany. Yes. Um, it's got cities such as Munich and Nuremberg in it, and it's one of the, as you said, it's one of the largest states in Germany with around a fifth of the land of Germany being within Bavaria, yes. and it still is, has its, as you said, it's got its own sort of, um, sort of cultural, yes. you know, cultural heart, if you will, yeah, separate yeah, to Germany. And still, yes. as, I think, as you said, it probably actually what we think of as Germany, with with your beer halls, just Lederhosen, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. often from Bavaria rather yeah, than anything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All these things are well, not explicitly Bavarian, but they are sort of emanating from Bavaria. Is the is, you know, where you're most likely to find them is yeah. Bavaria. And um, yeah. And sort of, um, <coughs> we were talking before we got started in this scene, Bavaria has been in several different iterations throughout history, but it's yes. been around sort of as a, as a block for yeah. around you know, a thousand years or so, yes. a thousand years or more. The bit we're looking at, at the mo- in this episode yes. is what's known as the Kingdom of Bavaria. Yes. And that lasted from 1805, so Napoleonic times, through to 1918 and the end of the First World War. Yes. Um, and it's ruled by the House of Wittelsbach. Yeah. Uh, they're still around now, but so they Ludwig, yeah, Ludwig, Ludwig exactly. oh, yeah, back, yeah, yeah House of yeah. back. They're still around now, but they obviously yeah. they have a very ceremonial role. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, not even the big palaces; yeah, they just exactly. have the small ones. Yeah, they have some of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which should be they still belong to them, but obviously not. But yeah, so yeah, it's really so. So Bavaria is this. Yeah, the reason I think this is part of the reason why Bavaria is so resistant and so unable to be absorbed into the rest of Germany by. Uh, by Prussia, is that is sort of quite, quite so it's, it's not only is it geographic, well, mostly geographically cohesive, it's been in the same kind of place mm. since I think the fourth, sorry, the sixth century, <clears throat> um, and uh, and has not really changed very much basically, and it's kind of culturally quite cohesive as well. Like the borders, uh, the borders have shifted a little bit. At the Congress of Vienna, for instance, they were given parts of the uh, the Palatinate, if that was yeah, Palatinate, yeah. Um, is sort of a section which is kind of northwestish. Yeah, it's towards its France and yes. not really connected to the rest of yeah. Bavaria. Yeah, 
Um, not only this, obviously they have this, um, they are quite close to Austria and the Swiss down below, uh, you know, to the due south. And so they are influenced quite a lot more by a Catholic kind of Austrian kind of culture than they are from mm. the kind of Protestant Lutheran Prussian culture. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they're sort of, they're, they're, very, they're very aware of their own identity within Germany, I think. And that religious divide is very important, yeah. as you touched on there, the Catholic south of Germany and the Protestant north of Germany obviously developed through the Reformation and the sort of fault lines are still there yes. in this period because yes. as we've seen generally it was the north of Germany and Prussia against sort of the Austrian dominated south largely because sort of the main sort of driver initially was that religious yes. divide and the suspicion it fostered I, I think, too. Yeah I think that was and part of the tension definitely. Yeah and it's something probably to bear in mind in the back of the rest of the episode is sort of this one Ludwig seems his own personal Catholicism, but also the Catholicism, Catholicism, Catholicism yeah. of the of the state as well. Yes, yeah, yeah of the state. Um, so uh, I think also, if you remember, if you if you recall, so in uh, not uh, pretty almost parallel to this is the um, the sort of crisis in Greece and the Crimea between Russia and Turkey, where mm-hmm. uh, religion obviously again still plays a quite a major role in this this kind of conflict. So it's not like yeah. Although it's the nineteenth century and everything's industrializing, religion hasn't gone away. Just yeah, those religious fault lines, as you say, yeah, still haven't disappeared. Um, so um, and it's, so yeah, so in in terms of so in, in ter- if you think about if you um, and th- this is um, I think where Bavaria becomes much more this this argument that Bavaria is almost reflective of Ludwig himself's personality, or Ludwig is reflective of a Bavarian type, I suppose. Uh, is much more sort of prominent because you can sort of see that the, um, as you said, they're culturally differentiated, they're, they're linguistically differentiated, they kind of speak a slightly different German dialect, even now. Um, they speak sort of East Franconian German dialects and Swabian German as well, um, and Old Bavarian. Um, and they, again, they're, they're sort of culturally different, religiously different, um, and they also retained, after being absorbed um, by Germany, uh, their quite key trappings of their sort of statehood, of their independence. They kept their army, they kept their railways, and they kept their postal service, and also their sort of diplomatic service as well, alongside the uh, uh, alongside the army. Um, and yeah, and um, there's a Bavarian tendency uh, for it to for his rulers to sort of play off various enemies against one another. In 1866, uh, in the build-up towards this kind of period, Bavaria had always been a sort of backseat, kind of not particularly involved in the North German Confederation, uh, quite suspicious of Bismarck's kind of manoeuvrings. Um, and then in 1866, when Prussia took on Austria for the sort of leadership of the German project, I suppose, they backed Austria. Um, and um, unfortunately, you know, after that, they were sort of dominated um, forced to join the North German Confederation, um, and then the the what the worry was that f- French influence in Austria would peel Bavaria away from a potential German Empire, and this is partly part of the reason why Bismarck decided to attack France and sort of force all the other German states to join in. Uh, but otherwise, Bavaria was still kind of this kind of free agent. Despite being supposedly integrated into Germany, it still possessed its own army and still possessed various other things that made it distinct and a potential point of rebellion, I think. Um, but this being said, I suppose we should probably move into uh, Ludwig himself, as this is the sort of the Swan King episode, uh, and why he is like Bavaria in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ludwig the Second uh, was obviously yes. born. Um, not as Ludwig II at all, but as the third in line to the throne. Um, so he was born in August 1845. Um, at this point, his grandfather, Ludwig the Ludwig I, was still on the yeah. throne. Yeah. And his father, Maximilian, was yeah. just the just the heir. Yeah. Um, this situation didn't last too long. In 1848, the revolutions that Tim mentioned came and swept away Ludwig I, because he was very unpopular. Mm. And Maximilian came to the throne as Maximilian II. Mm. He's quite an interesting character because he sort of displays some of the same traits that Ludwig displays when he was king. So um, he was also a keen builder and redeveloped various royal palaces around the um, around the state. Um, 
including the Nymphenburg Palace, where Ludwig was born, which yeah. translates as Castle of the Nymphs, which is kind of a sort of a fairy tale yeah, name for a place, yeah. a man who became a fairy tale prince. But this is, this is, what, this is what we're saying about the uh, Bavaria generally. The sort of idea of a fairy tale, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales kind of, kind of idea, does feel like it's kind of rooted in this kind of part of Germany. Mm. Completely, yeah, because you have all the mountains and yes. also all these castles that everyone keeps building. Yes, exactly, just yeah. constant mania. Kind of almost, I think also it's sort of backward-looking in a sense to kind of medieval, uh, I mean, well, Ludwig II obviously mm. was, but like saw this kind of ideal somewhere in this monarchy, which is, you know, what kings should be is, is an yeah. evil type of king. Well, I think there's, that's a very important thing that we'll come back to in a bit, yes. because when Ludwig was becoming king, that was a sort of romanticism movie. Yes, romantic, yeah, the exactly. Whole, the whole continent, really. Yes. But yeah, um... So yeah, Max William, when he was king, he was very popular, yeah. keen builder, as we said. He also uh, was a big friend of Hans Christian Andersen, speaking uh, of fairy tales, yeah, yeah. who came and stayed with him. Uh, yeah. And Max William was a fan of his books yeah. called King Max by uh, Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> so clearly they were good friends. Yes. Um, equally, he well, was... Well, not that, not, not, not that friendly. Well, he's, he's still a king. Okay. You can't just call him Max. Or, call him Max. Yeah. Max too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, as you mentioned... Bavaria was keen on sort of bit trying to play the balance of power yes, type thing. Yes. Maximilian was a big sort of proponent of this. Mm. And during the Frankfurt Assembly, which is basically where yes. the German states all came together in a parliament um, to try and sort out what was going to happen in Germany, mm. he came down very strongly on the side of Austria leading Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of Maximilian II. And you can see bits of Ludwig's character within him. Yes, I know. Um, well, I think, I think it's almost like, you know, this is the Bavarian uh, stereotype almost, like as a king. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and the other sort of, obviously the other big player in Ludwig's early life was his mother, yeah. Maria Prussia. Yes. Who, um, uh, she was, she was yeah, Prussian, yeah. yeah. Um, and she, she was a bit odd, I think she, I mean, they, were, they were both distant <laughs> yes. in terms of bringing him up. But basically, and, uh, but from what I read, uh, they basically just basically ignored him. For yeah. Basically, it, well, yeah, it wasn't a great start of life. But the weird, the, the one thing she seems to have, been very keen on in her son's upbringing was that he would always wear red and his younger brother Otto would always wear blue uh, that was the that seems to be the main sort of input that she had into their childhood yeah. um, but um, yeah as I said it's an austere and quite autocratic upbringing for the yes, two of, yeah. the two of them both Ludwig and his younger brother Otto yeah. um, he was Ludwig was apparently quite close to his grandfather yeah. um, apparently Ludwig, Ludwig the first intervened at his birth and demanded that he be named after him <laughs> so, so clearly there's some sort of affinity as some yeah, reason there yeah. um, the main sort of location of where the two boys were raised was Hohensch Hohen. Hohenschwangen Hohenschwangen yeah yeah Hohenschwangen yeah, it's um, Hohenschwangen yeah it's Schloss Hohenschwangen it's like uh, uh, so Schwangengau Schwangengau Hohenschwangau yeah, yeah. Hohenschwangau, the, the uh, Swan District. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the that was the place, the father's yeah. official summer residence that the father redeveloped, and then on a crag above that yes. is where Ludwig II's main fairy tale house was later built. Yes. So obviously he had potentially a fond memory of a child who was actually going yes. walking up there and sketching but and I, finding I, I, it. I honestly think that the guy will never like he. Um, if you're my completely amateur psychoanalytical kind of, um, uh, you know. Um, conclusion on this mm-hmm. I think the guy was he was as we said earlier he's like he's taught that basically his kid you know his, his great grandfather who was very close to him say had it was sort of almost a semi um, much more powerful than Ludwig ever was anyway he was much more you know a semi absolute monarch I mean he was constitutional but much more power um, uh, surrounded by these fantasies and fairy tales his entire life and then just as he's about to get get some kind of power which I'm sure you're going to go on to in a minute has it kind of snatched away from him by Bismarck, basically, yeah. by being, being defeated. But sorry, carry on. No, yeah, um, but I was going to lead in quite what I was going to say, in yeah. that um, in 1864, March 1864, Maximilian yes. dies quite suddenly. Yeah. And at this point, Ludwig II, well, Ludwig II is only 18 years old, yeah. and he himself said that he was completely underprepared yes. for the role. He said he was learning it and trying to, basically learning what he needed to be a king. Yeah, but king. effectively, yeah, but he just it suddenly just crashed in that he was just forced into the throne, effectively, with this no is- real... Yeah. Like preparational grounding, and yes. the thing his father was encouraged by the cabinet to actually speak to him, and the father turned around and said, "What am I going to speak to him about?" Yeah, effectively, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I mean, he had no yeah. sort of no one to really learn from, or I said, apprentice yes. to. Well, yeah, um, well, yeah, it's quite. But, but that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? It's like he's just uh, been being off. Um, but it's it's interesting how this, this is always sort of ends in disaster, doesn't it? Hmm. You have a minor 
But is he? He virtually is because he's young. He's young, but he also has no real knowledge of what it is to be a king. So, like you know, in medieval times in England, especially or other places, where you often send the heir off to like his own province within the kingdom to be able to get some sort of like understanding of what it means to actually administrate. Um, But obviously, he had none of this because his father didn't care. Obviously, he was just too young. Um, So, I think this is kind of reflective of what his first moves were as king. Did you say he was third in line to the throne? I suppose, yeah. Yes, when he was born, because of grandfather, father. Yeah, okay, fine. So it's not like he was the second in line. No, no, yeah, he, was, yeah, he wasn't yeah. like a second son. Yeah, sorry, type, but yeah. I misinterpreted that, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you can see sort of the underpreparedness sort yes. of writ large in what his first moves are, and they are broadly to continue the policies of his father. Yes. Um, he kept on the cabinet that was appointed yes. already, so he didn't make any changes there, yeah. and very much sort of cleaved to his father's pro-Austrian line. Yeah. Um, and you can... T- Tell this sort of the, the brutal sort of baptism of fire he gets, literally. Yes. Um, in sixty six. Yeah. The seven weeks war. Yes. Like seven weeks. It's like Austria is supposedly the most powerful, uh, well, at least, yeah, plausibly one of the most powerful states in Europe, and gets annihilated by Prussia. Yeah, and so it's seven weeks. This is this is basically the the, the culmination of what we've been talking about yes. in terms of is Austria going to dominate the German states or is Prussia going to dominate the German states? Yes. And effectively, it came to head, as Tim said, in a very very brief war. In 1866, uh, June 1866, where Prussia effectively uh, mobilized very quickly, yeah. quicker than anyone else, decimated sort of um, Bavaria's allies such as Hanover yes. very quickly, and made made sure that the Bavarian military, I think it took about two weeks to mobilize properly. So yeah. it was basically it was you know all the eyes were out of the war before um, yeah, Bavaria could actually get. There. Yeah, yeah. So and equally, it was not. I was going to say, it, like the, I think, uh, just a bit of extra details, the equipment they were using was sort of slightly outdated as well. I think in in the Seven Weeks' War, the um, the, Aust- the, the army on the Austrian side and the, the Allied Austrian side were using, uh, they were using rifles that needed to be, I think they were, they were um, muzzle-loaded. Mm-hmm. I believe this is true, because it's not the, because this isn't the Franco-Prussian War, this is like the earlier one. This is the Seven this is, um the Austro-Prussian yeah, 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 it's the Austro-Prussian one. And it's, and it's kind of like, so you have to stand, like the, the disadvantage is moving. Yeah, so it's basically like it's they're the fighting the Napoleonic War with almost, Napoleonic yeah, exactly, War-style exactly, weapons against yeah, yeah. somebody who can, with almost like, if you've seen the film Zulu, kind of breach-looting yes. weapons, which yes. can go very quickly. You just put it in and fire, basically, yeah, exactly, rather than exactly. having to ram it down and, and the point is at the powder. And the point is you can down as well, yeah. they were not able to do if they were reloading their cool. muzzle-loaded ones. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the... Um, the fact that Bavaria was not ready for war is kind of, as you said, technology wasn't there. They mobilised very slowly. Their generals were underprepared for it because only two of them had ever commanded anything larger, anything of division level, so anything yeah. that could operate independently. Only two of them had that experience of actually commanding a proper command. Yes. Um, and so sort of Bavaria just uh, was just not ready. Um, Prussia exploited this ruthlessly by knocking, as you said, each one out of the war before they could all join together. Yes. And... It came basically at the end of the war. Bavaria was forced to sign what is loosely termed a mutual defence treaty with yes. Prussia, which <laughs> essentially means Prussia dictates what it does in terms of whether it goes to war or not. Yeah. Which is one of the first big steps to Bavaria losing that independence, yes. and so it can't really dictate its own foreign policy as much anymore. Yeah, I think it's almost. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we discussed this quite a lot in the eighteen forty eight episode for Germany. Um, which I still haven't got around to uh, putting out. But um, anyway, uh, basically, it, the, the army is like the keystone, isn't it? And if you mm-hmm. don't control the army, then you're kind of slightly screwed. Yeah. Um, this isn't complete control of the army, but it is, you know, they've already been battered once, and would they try it again, I guess? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, they've had their lesson. And the, yeah, other, exactly, the, other, yeah. the other key thing, so, you know, if this is two years into Ludwig's reign. He's had, a, like, a humiliating defeat at the hands of um, Prussia, the other, um, he's lost the, basically the army's independence. Yeah. They've been subordinated to the Prussians. Yeah. The other big thing too that we're going to probably come back into later yeah. to remember it here is that um, Prince Otto, his younger brother, mm. fought during the war and was quite badly sort of emotionally scarred by the whole situation. Yeah. Um, so he, this is what we'll come back to later, but bear in mind that he's obviously suffering from some form of PTSD at this point yeah. after the war. Yeah. And it kind of has severe implications for Ludwig and his reign later on as well. Um so going from the sort of foreign policy aspect, it's quite interesting to give another bit of um, the character of Ludwig at this point in the early stage of his reign, in that he was obsessed by the work of um, oh. Wagner. Um, ever since being a boy, he only went to see uh, one of Wagner's operas, he became sort of this literally the ultimate Wagner fan. Yeah. Um, and when he became king, he invited... I was going to say, um, 
you probably mentioned this, but in, in when he was younger, the walls of the palace that he was in, he was staying in, or living in, um, I assume it was uh, Hohenspangel, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, they were decorated with it, you know, sort of paintings and images of, of medieval, sort of almost semi-fantasy kind of knights and um, mythology, essentially. Um, and then Wagner almost kind of, I think, reignited this for him, this kind of mm. almost combination of nostalgia and like kind of things he wanted to be as a king um, was sort of the source of his attractive obsession with Wagner, basically. Yeah, completely. And, and, you know, he is... He, when he becomes king, um, he invites Wagner to come and basically set up camp in Munich. Yes. Um, and say, in, you know, he's like, oh, we'll build this grand palace for you, yes. my court is, and I will perform extracts from your works kind of thing. Just, you know, be some fated um, genius and we'll worship your feet. Because it's lovely, um, second actually established the Munich Opera House. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He's, uh, I, think, I think it was the, the sort of um, initial plans came from at this yeah. point. Um, yeah. And then... It kind of grew and grew yes. from that. And I think it was almost like seen as a project, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got carried away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of an interesting, as you said, an interesting sort of um, sort of window into his mind yes. at this yeah, point. Yeah, that you yeah. know he is almost retreat, almost immediately looking at sort of how he can retreat back into the past yes. through these yeah. operas. And well, he, yeah, I feel like his practical ability to affect anything that seems to be happening in the world is just completely ruined by that loss of the war in eighteen sixty six. Yeah. Um, and what's he going to do? He can't do anything. Even he's supposed to be king. Uh, the king of what? Yeah, exactly. And it's not. And it's not helped by this sort of. Not only is he sort of very like inclined towards the romances in the past, but he's also very shy generally. Yes. He disliked public functions. Disliked being seen in public and being that sort of. You know, if you're a constitutional monarch, who if you think, for example, the queen, for example, has to do a lot of public engagements, yeah. open things, be at parades. He hated all of that. So he wasn't. He one yeah. didn't have the power of an absolute monarch to actually affect change, but also he disliked the role that he had been given to him yeah. anyway. I so think he it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, pretty embarrassing. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. As a monarch of idealized absolute power, I think being a figurehead must be well, just like constant, constantly humiliating. But yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, what it's, 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 he yeah. was caught in that thing where he didn't, he, well, he couldn't have what he wanted, and yeah, he exactly. hated what he did have yeah, yeah, yeah. effectively. So he, he, you know, this kind of shown. More and more, they avoided places like Munich, retreated into sort of like rural Bavaria in many ways. Yes. And you know, although he was popular amongst the ordinary people he met, yeah, yeah. his he, council he's... became more and more suspicious of him because they didn't really know what he was up to a lot yeah, of the time and yeah. they didn't know what he wanted. <laughs> As they were always kind of a bit like, oh, what's this guy? What's he gonna, is he going to yeah. come back and just oh, something? Like, yeah. What's he going to do now? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, so yeah, so, so he sort of gradually. Uh, yeah, gradually retreated into sort of fantasy land, essentially, or sort of you know a, a, a wild sort of fantasy where he obviously could affect things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah, I think by the eighteen seventies, he'd sort of almost ceased public functions altogether. Is that right? Yeah, he had uh, his he, last military parade was in yeah, eighteen seventy five, August eighteen seventy five, and his last court banquet was in eighteen seventy six. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, and uh, you know this is this is important because obviously the Franco Prussian War in eighteen seventy that was it. Like you know. Germany was Germany, and there was no. Although he was nominally still king of Bavaria, there was no real place for him in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, again, you have even less effect. You know, yeah, less effect. So he had. He was a very sort of unsatisfied monarch yeah. for many, in many reasons. You know, one because he had no power. Two because he disliked what he could do. Yes. Um, but three also in his own personal life, he was also very um, sort of tortured as well. Yes. Um, the main thinking behind. Uh, I mean, theory of historians is that he was he was homosexual, yeah. but he was also a very devout Catholic, so he struggled to yes. once um, confront his feelings and also suppress them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, so he never really achieved that sort of contentedness within yes. himself. So he had quite so he was sort of like personally discontented, as yeah, well as personally sort of quite tortured as well, professionally as kind of disenchanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean to make matters worse, actually, I didn't know if I mentioned this, but the culture, the Kulturkampf, mm-hmm. which took place in Germany between eighteen seventy two and eighteen seventy eight, there's sort of this. Um, I think the kind of Cold War between the Catholic because Germany is supposedly supposed to be a you know unified empire. Uh, Cold War culturally between the Protestant states and the Catholic states, uh, and uh, yeah, this kind of attack on on sort of again that's sort of part of his personality. It's mm-hmm. quite, yeah, so it's being it's being like 
pummeled every way you like look at it, really. Yeah, everywhere and like, he looks, he's just under attack. And especially like, looking at his sort of um, personal life, where it's one place where, you know, many monarchs will be able to like form a sort of a type, yes. bring around themselves as friends and, you know, yeah. maybe to some extent flatter as a courtier, so you may be able to help them yes. like, get over personal disappointments or like, yeah. public disappointments. But no, he no, again... No, I was going to say, he doesn't seem to have had even many courtiers. No, this is it. This is yeah. what we're going to. That he did... He formed very close relationships with some okay. courtiers, and this again led, has led to the rumours of him being yeah. um, homosexual. And for example, Prince Paul of Thurn and Taxis yes. um, during his youth was his aide de camp, or yeah. you know, basically was a personal assistant yeah. kind of thing. He was kind of like helped him do, dictate his letters and yes. you know, yeah. manage his engagements and that type of yeah. thing. He was very close to him. They were the ones who performed um, extracts of Wagner's operas together. Rumoured they had a sexual relationship, but kind of um, Ludwig's was a very kind of his instability was kind of shown in this relationship because more and more as they as you know he became king Paul would often be able to un, un, not be able to anticipate what he wanted in terms right. of you know sometimes he was being too attentive sometimes yeah. he wasn't being attentive enough and you can never really as a friend never really judge that yeah. particularly well or yeah. be able to judge it because he was so inconsistent and this is potentially why he yeah. was a, wasn't was able to even bring together a sort of yeah. group of people to support him in that because yeah. you know he, he was, his mood had swing so quite too unstable basically yeah, yeah. His, his mood was he seemingly swing too far one way than the other and no yeah. one would be able to actually keep his favour for long enough to be yes. able to be his be his friend effectively yeah, yeah, which is quite sad because at the same time he's probably wanting friends but he also yeah. didn't know exactly how well he, he definitely is wanting friends yeah. because as, as like he uh, he used to have we used to have a dinner table whenever he had dinner dinner table would always be set for four people mm. even if only he was there and he would pretend that he was speaking to invisible friends like uh, Louis XV and uh, various other sort of ghosts and things in his uh-huh. mind is a little bit uh, it's even, even darker, really. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but but so I suppose so. I suppose in, in some ways, you can kind of, this is why he sort of uh, became kind of infatuated with kind of major building projects. Yeah, so there's also there's, artistic. There's one other nature. bit I want to mention about yeah. his personal life before we go on to the castles. Yeah, and that's that in 1867 he had a, he had a short lived engagement mm. um, because obviously he's the king. He's meant yes. to marry yeah, yeah, effectively. Yeah. He meant to. Like continue the line, yeah. um, and he was married. He was engaged to his cousin, Duchess Sophie Charlotte of Bavaria. Um, immediately, wasn't a very happy marriage uh, engagement. Um, Ludwig called the main substance of the relationship their shared love of Wagner. Uh, so even there, even here, yeah, he was not exactly a great starting point. Yeah. And he, the marriage basically repeatedly postponed and then cancelled. Yeah. Um, they, you know, so this kind of again typifies one sort of inconsistency in Ludwig in terms yeah. of like he was willing to get engaged to then put it off, put it off yeah. and then eventually cancelled it. Yeah. And again, also probably just, you know, hammered home his disenchantment with his yeah, own yeah. self and the, yeah. his, the fact that he was still struggling Lost with Lost and exactly. just in a world of things he doesn't really get. Yeah. Can't really change. And, yeah. and obviously from the, as we said, the political disappointments of not really being able to do anything as a king, yeah. losing um, Bavaria's independence to some extent, yeah. losing a major war. But it's not even, that, it's not even sorry, it's not just even that he's just kind of in, impotent, well he is impotent as a king, but he's kind of like bullied, constantly, mm. but basically Bismarck is kind of like manipulating him this entire time as well. So when the empire was declared and uh, Wilhelm uh, became the, the, the Kaiser. emperor, the Kaiser indeed, yeah, yeah, um, there was a sort of big ceremony in the, in the, in the Hall of Mirrors in Versailles because obviously they just invaded France and sort of celebrated by rubbing French noses in it um, by declaring their empire in France. Um, uh, they, uh, you know, Ludwig didn't go, but he was kind of like, he was paid off by Bismarck. Mm. Bismarck, Bismarck stole funds, you know, sort of funds stolen from various other German states, paid off Ludwig to write this, this sort of glowing letter of congratulation um, and sort of did this sort of similar thing throughout the period and sort of like, Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Uh, every time he's done it, uh, he's just kind of been even more disappointed mm. than when he started. Um, like uh, we are, we when Bismarck suggested that he, we'll go into this in a minute, but we, uh, go to go to the Parliament to ask for funds for one of his castles, and they're just like, "Who are you? Know, what, yeah. Why? You know, what, what, you know, what do you need this for?" Um, but yeah, so he's yeah. kind of like not only on his own, but as as we said before, not actively tormented. Yeah. So as yeah. The, Professional, professional kingly disappointment yes, yeah. and sadness allied to a loneliness in terms of he had no yeah. close courtiers or friends. Yeah. His marriage attempt had failed. 
And so, and, you know, as we've been hinting at throughout, he kind of withdrew into himself and withdrew into this romanticized ideal yes. of one Germany, two medieval yeah. times, three what a king could do in yes, some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as we've said briefly earlier, um, this was kind of in a little bit. It was a extended and extrapolated, but le- but still part of the sort of romanticism movement that was sweeping the nation. Yeah. Uh, well, not the nation, the the continent in many yes, ways, yeah, which was yeah. looking back to medieval times or what people thought of as medieval times yes, and trying yeah, to bring yeah. it bring it into the 19th century. Yes. Um, it's so, kind, of, kind of partly, rea- I think we covered it in Frankenstein, but partly reaction to the Industrial Revolution making yes. everything seem much more gritty and real, I assume. But, mm. um, so, yeah. Yeah, and we know, for example, that there were other people at work trying to adapt old castles and build new castles into... Yes. You know, stylized versions, yeah. and also because I mean, I mean, castles long ago have sort of lost their main use, which was obviously fortifications. So mm-hmm. Now they're just kind of shells, uh, yeah, or, or like you know, fancy symbols. And yeah, stuff, and so you know, we see, we also know that Ludwig travelled um, when he was younger and saw places like um, the Chateau de Pierrefonds in France, which was kind of you probably would have seen it in various fantasy films or TV shows. I think it's in the BBC TV series Merlin, okay. uh, which is like yeah, 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 it's kind yeah, of like yeah. massive. Um, grand grand towers and it's basically this French guy um, modified an old castle into what he thought would you know, look like a very pretty fairy tale castle. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and genuine, uh, genuine medieval castle. Yeah, exactly. And at the same at the same time, various German states remodeling their own castles, yes. stuff like that. And then Ludwig, Ludwig saw this effectively saw this saw the sort of grandness of French architecture as well, and yes. thought, well, you know, why can't Bavaria have its own sort of yeah. cultural heartbeat? Because he saw, you no, know, the French are very Kind of as a nation, very you know proud, proud of free, proud, yeah. confident in their own yeah. artistic output. Yes, but various not as much. Well, um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, potentially it was also some kind of a, almost like a well, fuck you to the kind of very blunt Prussian kind of uh, way of doing things, which is like pretty militaristic. But yeah, no, it was that was also it. But yeah. the, the apparently the key yes. is when you went to places like Versailles okay, yeah, and yeah. Pierrefonds is, is to see these yeah. the French were doing it. Yeah, yeah, why can't the Bavarians do it yeah. effectively? Um, and you know, he when he came back to Bavaria, as we mentioned, um, his sort of youthful um, home, um, yeah, yeah, summer yeah, residence yeah. was Hohenschwangau yes. Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like valley. It's kind of like I mean, when you see pictures of it, it's kind of like a valley. So I think it's kind of like a. So basically, that was on one cliff. That was on one. Yeah, sort of a edge. lower cliff. Yeah, lower cliff. Yeah. And then he built this yeah. new one. On the upper cliff. On the, on yeah. the upper cliff. It's just weird. But then he had a third one that he was going to build on an even higher cliff than that. Yeah, so like the Robert yeah. Ballon's Palace. Yeah. There, wasn't it? So, uh, but yeah, so like this is, you know, it's cla- when he's yeah. building this what this new, this new one. Yeah, now Yeah, now Um New Swanstead. It kind of encapsulates the whole Romanticism movement yes. because, you know, one, it's built on the ruins of two other castles mm. that were basically fallen out of use because, as we said, as Tim said earlier, Castles themselves are effectively fallen yeah. out of use because, yeah, um, and so he bought the he bought the the land and then leveled the old castles because they couldn't be built on them, yeah. uh, and then began sort of building up this grass romantic palace. Yes. Um, he inc- interestingly he didn't employ in the first instance an architect; he employed a set yeah. designer yeah. Um, to basically to sort of work up this image of what he thought would look good, and then he yeah. gave, basically gave it to a architect. Christian yeah, Christian Yank, yeah. yeah. And he said, "Here's this." He basically took this concept to an architect and said, "Here's the concept. Now build it, kind yeah. of thing. You know, make it work." Yes. And so, um, probably then at, at this point, the architect probably had like a meltdown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, right. um, I, either, I either had a meltdown. I was like, "Oh my god, the budget for this is unlimited." Well, I think, yeah. I think as we saw later on, actually, because the because of his because of his lack of funds and the fact that like, there was no money available to finish off any of these any of these mm. off. The, um, the architectural drawings became even more zany yeah. as time went on because they knew it was impossible, but it would make him happy. Yeah, and but, um, Karen, sorry. Yeah, so they, you know, basically that's what happened. They, yeah. they, the, the plans were in place, yeah. and then for about 20 odd years, um, 20 yeah. years, he just sort of, it just began. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 1859 it began, yeah. and it was still being, being built, um, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, when Ludwig was um, eventually kicked off the yeah, throne, yeah. so you know, interestingly, it was funded throughout his yes. not by state funds, but by his own personal yeah. funds. Eight, um, sorry, I was going to say what, what it cost. No, uh, yeah, go, go for it. Eight point four million marks, which yeah. is about fifty-four million euros. It's a lot of money. I mean, uh, yeah, it's quite quite a lot of money for for. And then I suppose 
Looking back for what, looking out the castle, looking out the castle, I was surprised at actually how relatively cheap it sounded because yes, yes. I was thinking actually that's, that's going to be like billions. Yeah, well, time. considering how you know, how inaccessible it is, and, yeah, um, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and obviously you've got to find stone masons and mm-hmm. like made of. Well, it's, an, it's an interesting one because actually he, the castle, and in, everywhere he built castles, it became almost the main employer in the region. Actually, yeah, 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 that's yeah, one of the reasons yeah. he's quite popular because he's yeah. bringing jobs to the bringing people, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so, but equally, it's quite an interesting so one because. Basically, when he died, the entire probably. Yeah, just. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's quite interesting one because obviously it's quite a backwards looking back into the mists of time building. Yes. But it was it was being used to build it, it was actually quite a modern concept. They had steam cranes to oh, start see, winching yeah. up all of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, materials to build it and things like that so it's quite interesting sort of fusion in many ways yeah, of, yeah, you know, yeah. of old and new romantic fusion yeah, but, um, yeah it sounds like a steampunk type of thing. yeah uh, anyway, yeah sorry <laughs> but when sort of you know it's quite as we said as the project went on it just became more and more sort of uh yeah, yeah. mad because because yeah. you know for example he had originally intended to allow guest rooms to be built in there yeah. but then he decided the idea for a moorish moorish room would be better so he decided to moorish get rid yeah, yeah, yeah get rid of the fear of the thing and build this sort of eastern um in, orient inspired uh, yeah, yeah. um sort of opulent thing which was then later abandoned um because yeah. it was too too expensive and yeah. i think he was actually um yeah either way um the castle itself although it's huge is much more decorative than it is functional so it has basically yeah. room for the king and the servants you can't really hold that's a court right. there so and you can't really you know do stuff there yeah they I mean, right put me in mind of actually when um it's quite small you see pictures so yeah it does but like looking at yeah. this imposing building yeah. but also thinking of sort of what kings would have where they would have sort of their yes. seat of power and they bring the court to it yes but he obviously you know as we said he didn't like public engagements he didn't like the idea yeah. of yeah. You know, actually bringing people to it that maybe it was for him yeah you yeah. know yeah. rather than anyone else and it, um, I've got the idea that it was supposed to be him and Wagner's like, yeah. first personal like, not retreat, but maybe then Wagner sort of fell by the way. So well, he, he, he was actually eventually kind of, before the castle was finished, was chased, effectively chased out of Munich because of his libertine lifestyle in some ways, <laughs> and then sort of yeah. his influence on it's the king. Is ironic, isn't it, considering the king's supposed to be a strong, strong Catholic, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but he was all, was already on the run from his, from his creditors when yeah, Ludwig was like, come to my, yeah. come to my sort of mad um, Wagner yeah, um, palace. Yeah, and then he was like, yeah. Because Ludwig should be following in his footsteps as well, aren't he? Can be pursued by the creditors, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, as you said, this is sort of like the, the apotheosis of, of Ludwig's yeah. sort of um, drive for, to get away from people and everything yeah. else, yeah. yeah. And this is the one place where he could actually build himself and you know, have his, literally his own specifications. Yeah. But it is quite sad because he only lived, spent actually about 11 nights there in total really? because it took okay. so long. Yeah. He was there for around 172 days, but I can only assume that he was there during the day but then had to go back down to the old palace to sleep because yeah. Yeah. it wasn't ready. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's the big one. There are other ones that were built yes. at the same time. All of them kind of like fanciful in their own way. So there's, so there's Heron Shamze, which is it's basically his ode to Versailles. Um, nice, yeah. So it's a more of a palace than a castle. It's built on the Shamze Lake in southern Bavaria, which is 60 kilometers outside Munich in a completely remote and inaccessible location. So forest in a forest on an island in the middle of a massive lake. Um it's kind of it has a whole copy of the Hall of Mirrors of it in Versailles. Yeah. Um, the ceilings adorned with twenty five images glorifying Louis the Fourteenth, which is again <laughs> yeah. the most absolute of absolute yeah, kings. Exactly, yeah. So it kind of shows his sort of thing. The Sun King. Yeah, exactly. The Sun um, King. It was also. Yeah, funny enough, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no so it was. It was also, as with his previous one we spoke about, um, it was also incomplete on his death, but this to a greater extent. So it had fifty to seventy rooms that were completely incomplete yeah. at the time and were just never really completed after that but also it did have beat Versailles and a few things and it had toilets Versailles <laughs> only had two this one had enough wow. um, central heating and doing, apparently just guests say, this yeah. one had guests it's only one apparently yeah but yeah uh, it had central heating as well wow. and also water that you could drink whereas wow. Versailles was basically in a swamp so you couldn't really yeah. do that yeah. <laughs> but yeah also you had palaces like the Linderhof Palace which is again yes. French inspired yeah. The Munich Residence Palace for uh, was, was the, the Lustschloss, which is the Some enlargements and stuff. Is that, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Inspired again by Palace of Versailles, mm-hmm. And also, we had Falkenstein, which you alluded to briefly, which was the base of the even the, the ultra fanciful one that he never built, oh, yes, which yes. is 
basically on a crag uh, so <laughs> just meant to be based on a robber baron's castle and like oh, there's yeah. some amazing like artist impressions of it which yeah. is as far as they got because one they were supremely running out of money and two yeah. he basically ran out of time yeah. coming on to yeah. now so effectively obviously we've been talking about these opulent palaces he's been building yeah. they're from his own money but equally he is the head of you know head of the yeah. country effectively yeah. and his money had run out yeah. the the money that Bismarck had been bribing him with had yeah. run out <laughs> and he'd basically been going around to various creditors saying can I have money and they're like yes. yeah yeah here's some money and he basically run up all these debts but it's funny because he's like he's taking out these loans it's not like he's ever going to be able to pay no, that yeah, yeah. and he completely overextended himself so he yeah. has about 14 million marks in debt yeah. at the point where the where the cabinet were like yeah. this, this is, is getting a bit enough. embarrassing yeah, yeah it's like, 1886 yeah by 1886 yeah. he is uh, yeah, they of, basically thought, okay, we need to do something, something here. Like this, yeah. And so, but, but I think the, 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 like, the last thing he did is like he asked Parliament. Basically, the last straw was he asked the government, well, Parliament and the government, uh, for more money in I think June in eighteen eighty six, and they were like, okay, mm-hmm. you know. yeah. Um, basically, basically, they I think they'd been a bit concerned about his erratic behaviour, yes, his cabinet, right, yeah, yeah. and they were concerned because equally he could I think dismiss them, yes, and so they were a bit worried about him getting rid of them because equally yeah. as we covered. He didn't really like Prussia, um, but a lot of the cabinet kind of did. Well, um, I think, I think uh, obviously the cabinet knew which way the wind was blowing yeah. in terms of money and in terms of what's happening. Yeah. Germany was obviously becoming a bit of a powerhouse. And if Bavaria was going to like... Well, first of all, Bavaria didn't really, couldn't really stand up for Prussia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, if they stayed on board, they could potentially end up in the emperor's cabinet rather than just the Duke of Bavaria, uh, the king of Bavaria's yeah. cabinet. So basically they kind of thought... We'll strike. Classic politicians. Yeah. They were basically a f- a f- feeling sort of we'll strike first before the king might think about striking <laughs> us. Yeah. So in January 1886, they commissioned what they, it was, oh, it was yes. r- loosely deemed a medical report about um, <laughs> Ludwig II's mental health. Yes. And this is important because obviously we mentioned earlier his younger brother Otto was kind of scarred by the war he was in, the, the Austro-Prussian War. He yes. also there was then fought in the Franco-Prussian War came back even more scarred by that yeah. and was kind of normally sort of sort of, sort of an open secret because he was royal but was generally acknowledged to be quite mad. Um, in 1875, sorry, um, in, in 1875, sorry, exactly, okay. um, he, um, Otto disrupted the Corpus Christi Mass, which was being held in Munich Cathedral, mm. and burst in dressed in hunting gear and then <laughs> prostrated himself in front of the, the archbishop yeah. who was taking the ceremony and you know, begged him for forgiveness and stuff. So mm. Otto was kind of by this point, he's kind of been shuffled off into kind of an also, almost isolation yes. in one of the palaces um, to basically for his own health, yeah. effectively. So the cabinet then saw, oh, here's an idea. Yeah. We can have Ludwig declared a man, potentially, yeah. and declared this report, which is an interesting report because um, they effectively bribed and bullied his servants into giving what they deemed to be evidence of his sort of erratic behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the stuff they came back with in the report were shyness, yeah. eating outside when it was cold, his building projects, yeah. um, Wearing thick clothes in summer, yeah. bad table manners, and the violent temper were, were highlights of the report when it yeah. came when it came to be published. Uh, was was there also an incident where he had them all arrested for when he went around in his palace or something like that? This we were coming to that oh, in a second, yeah. And Bismarck wasn't overly happy with the report when he saw it. He said it was rakings from the king's waste paper market basket and cupboards. <laughs> so he didn't like the report. So I think that sums up how yeah. kind of like poor it generally was. Can I just kind of yeah. just quick uh, historical point? Yeah. Bismarck said waste paper basket. Apparently. I'm not, that was a, a no, quote I saw. Maybe a translation and yeah, updating yeah, yeah. of translation. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say. But, <laughs> recycling back in 1886. Yeah. But equally, he said waste paper, which may have been something else. Okay, that, fine. May have been something else. May have, Secret documents, maybe. Don't get burned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like water closet. Kind of like is a yeah. call toilet waste paper. Could just mean rubbish. Yeah, days. I guess so, I don't yeah. Know. Equally, he said, okay, from the king's bin. Yeah, <laughs> and, and his cupboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this this report was kind of commissioned by the cabinet to p- appease Ludwig's uncle Leutopold, mm. who um, was the man they effectively thought he's going to be the regent. Leutopold said, "No, I want evidence yeah. before I can be seen to to go against the king." Yeah. probably yeah. rubbing his hands with glee that they would allow him yeah. to have the throne because um, you know I imagine he's quite. Yeah. You know, had his eye on it. Either way, so yeah, they had the report drawn up. Then they had um, four psychiatrists sign the report. Mm. Uh, only one had actually met the, the king. Well, that was this was several years before. They all decided, yeah, he's definitely mad, kind of thing. They signed this report. Then they all went off to Neuschwanstein Castle 
uh, kind of fittingly, this is where the, the, the final bit of Ludwig's yeah, reign took place. Showdown, yeah. yeah, and as he said, this is where um, they appeared at the gate. Yeah. Ludwig had been warned by a servant that they were coming. He then ordered the police and the fire brigade to protect him. Um, so they were met. Basically, these courtiers were kind of met with you know guns, effectively, yeah, yeah. Um, and turned away. They were then attacked by a female courtier um, <laughs> who hit them with her umbrella, with her, with her umbrella, and then went to tell Ludwig who they were. So Ludwig then had them arrested yeah. for a bit. They sat around. Then he decided to release them. Yeah. Um, at this point, people were urging Ludwig to kind of show himself in public and then to say, kind of rally people against yeah. the cabinet, say, this is a coup. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of me. It's an interesting moment because it's almost as if you could see uh, a potential shift in the power, power yeah. struggle there. I think but, so. Um, obviously, it didn't quite. Yeah, and then, about and then so there's, there's an interesting bit where apparently there was a statement released by the king yeah. to say, you know, this is, you know, um, I'm being, you know, being, you know, being pushed out. But there's a kind of query as to whether that was real yeah. or not, because apparently you used the we rather than the royal I. Allegedly. <laughs> so again, yeah. Um, yeah, it may not be real. Okay. Either yeah. way, he kind of just sat there and didn't do too much to rally any support or help. Yes. And so they, the delegation came back. He tried to escape, but it was too late, and they arrested him yeah. and took him to Berg Castle, which yeah. is actually now the main residence of where the House of Wittelsberg now live in one yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they took him there. Sorry. So they took him to Berg Castle. Yeah, and so this is kind of like the, you know, he'd been taken by his enemies. Yes. There was no real way out. Leutopold yeah. yeah. was eventually was acclaimed as regent, and this is, as he said, this shift in towards parliamentary democracy, effectively, yeah. away from the power. Leutopold was very kind of passive, yes. didn't really do anything. Um, to actually support um, the royal power yeah. so kind of like this is where all drained away yeah. properly yeah. from the world um, and sort of the, the final kind of like closing to Ludwig's story is quite an interesting one because um, he was eventually you know after spending a day there he went for a walk with um, his chief psychiatrist called Dr. Bernhard van Guden who was also responsible for declaring Otto mad and was one of the ones who had declared Ludwig mad yeah. um, so they went for a walk um, they came back and then uh, Ludwig was like oh I'd like another evening walk actually yeah. and then they just didn't return the two of them and so um, after a while obviously everyone's getting a bit, like, a bit concerned as to where the king had gone <laughs> yeah. um, with his with his psychiatrist yeah. they in, in, like instigated a search of the grounds of the castle yes. and they eventually found the two men floating in quite in very shallow water in Lake Sternberg which is the which is the lake next to yes. the castle yeah. officially it was ruled a suicide yeah. Um, but there are kind of inconsistencies with this in that no waters found Ludwig's lungs. Yeah. Um, he had been quite he'd been a strong swimmer in his early life. Uh, the water's actually only waist deep where yeah. the yeah. bodies were found. So yeah. it's kind of a bit odd that one yeah. that a strong swimmer would drown and then also have no you know water in his lungs. Many people still argue that he was killed whilst trying to escape. So yeah. Yeah. later on, his personal fisherman. <laughs> Which I'm not, I'm not sure, never sure was an actual. I mean, Fair, clearly yeah. it was a thing, but oh, like. As I was mean, saying earlier, I've got a maid, a gardener, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fish, but not, yeah, well, yeah. well, is he going to fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Thames down Would you want the fish out of the Thames? Oh, really. <laughs> was infected yeah. like three headed salmon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might, be, might be tasty, yeah. Yeah, well, he, yeah, whatever it would be. Apparently, he claimed that he'd been hiding nearby to help the king escape. And then, as Ludwig set one set of foot on the shore, mm. uh, on the boat, he was shot and then died. Mm. Um, and then, you would have thought the cor- uh, coroner would have found that. Well, this is it. Apparently, it was all covered up because was, yeah. um, you know, this is this is the you know they didn't want the king to escape. They yeah. wanted it you know, to, and then obviously he was paid off or something yeah, like that. Yeah. There's apparently all these things like he was using was, like an air rifle, rifle or something was used, so that no no shot was heard. An air yeah, some sort of air powered rifle. Was I, 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 I know. Yeah, they, there's some ludicrous seems, theories. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, ludicrous theories. Another theory is that he suffered a stroke or heart attack brought on by the cold water during an escape attempt. Which I mean. There will be no wounds. No, that was yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, How old is he at this point? He is. Uh, he is. Forty. Forty-three. Forty-one. Forty-one. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. yeah forty-one. So still young. Um, yeah. Okay. But equally, there are you know this conspiracy theory is still kind of grip people today. There's a yeah. there's a group of people who are very very heavily subscribed to it. They, they go out on the on the water at the time of his death, and they all wear kind of ominous looking. Almost Klukas clan garb right. yeah. uh, with like hoods and masks. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was quite quite eerie looking, right, and they so. very much subscribe to one very I think should be independent, and two yeah. that Ludwig was killed by yeah. a Prussian backed conspiracy. It's, almost, it's, very, it's like uh, you know the um, what's his name, Bonnie Prince Charlie type yeah. uh, escape, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. off to sky. Almost in the similar way, but um, mm. yeah, interesting. Yeah, Ludwig should have dressed as a woman. Yeah.
like Bonnie Ben Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just looked at me and was like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so there's, so a, mo- there's a, a, a more. So it's a bit of a, a um, tragic. I feel like it's a kind of a tragic. It is tragic into a tragic All line. Episodes recently have been tragic. They really have. Tragedy probably produced more comedy episodes. Yeah. I mean, they are quite funny, generally, the production it's, of them are. Yes, like, I mean, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so that, that's how Lugovid died in suspicious circumstances. Yeah. Did he, was he, have a stroke? Did he have a heart attack? Did he drown? Was yeah. he shot? No one really knows. Uh, a memorial was, was chap- Bavaria drowned? With him, potentially, under a sea of Prussian... Yes, yeah, Under a sea of Prussian dominance. Yes. Or just stamped to death under Prussian boots. But yeah. yeah. Um, or shot with an air rifle. Did, yeah. Inexplicably, <laughs> yeah. Um... Yes. So yeah. And they, you know, to this day, a memorial <laughs> chapel was erected nearby. Yeah. There's still a memorial ceremony really? each, each year of his, wow. to mark his death. And a cross, because it'd be cross in the sort of yeah. lake where they notionally found the bodies. So, I mean, he's still quite like fondly yes. remembered yes. by the people now, I think potentially because of his castles. But I think also and the fairy tale element the last of it. king, isn't he? Yeah, so he's always going to look literally the last king because of his uncles. Yeah, and Otto was, Otto was still technically king, oh, even though he, he, was, right. he was committed to effectively an insane. Yeah, Silent, effectively, right. but he was still technically like king. Kind of, uh, king in public. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think yeah. he was like the last king to really be a, yeah. even yeah. Like, notionally a king. king. I think, isn't it? Like, yeah. The, the, the last, uh... Yeah, but but yeah. So, uh... yeah, so the um, when he um, obviously when Lutopold came to <coughs> notionally the throne, yeah. one of his first um, things was to effectively throw over one hurriedly finish the palaces that Lugavid left behind like knock up some bits yeah. to make them kind of like open and then open them to public and yeah. then started making the money back from them yes yeah, yeah. Um, so it's quite almost like a final kick in the throat to Ludwig is the yeah. pace, the most private of monarchs yeah. then basically had his most private places just thrown out to, to everyone he just like yeah. poured in and yeah. just like you know, sat down in his, in his chairs yeah. and stuff and you know instead of there being no one around the dinner yes. table everyone was just crowding around the dinner table to yeah. yeah, sad times, but equally. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's on, nice. That... On, on the other hand, I think it is quite nice that people can actually understand and get you know experience what he. Well, yeah, I'm all for his mind. But, yeah. um... I'm all for people being allowed in. Yeah. It's just it feels sad from his point of view that yeah, you know, that you know, probably, yeah, yeah especially so quickly. Yes. Um, yes. These, yeah, and they are kind of like they are a huge kind of one revenue maker for yes. the for the um for the Bavarian state. state and also the House of Isabel because they kind of own. They co-own the palaces now, yeah, so yeah. some own the big ones are owned by the state, and the small ones are owned, as you said, by the House of Parks. Yeah, they can open yeah. them up and stuff, so they get some revenue from that. The state gets a lot of revenue from that, and they are on the sort of list to become UNESCO World Heritage sites, nice. in, in, especially um, Nauschwanstein Castle. So only a few get made, okay. in, like only a few get the designation. Yeah. So they're on the. I think each country has a few yeah. in the pipeline as their sort of like chosen ones for designation. Ones world, kind of yeah, kind of like they get. They're ones for, okay, they, this is our yeah. like choice for well, designation. Right, and then space, each maybe. year, they, yeah. like a certain amount get designated. Yes, and they have, you know, when the case comes up, now yeah. signs on the list to be yes. the German UNESCO yeah. next one. Kind of thing. Nice. I'm surprised it isn't already. Yeah, I think it's, it's potentially bad. just, I think it's potentially the fact that it was built in the 19th century. They're probably right. older ones that are yeah. more crumbly. Right. So they need, need the more protection now, kind of thing. Right. Whereas yeah, now yeah. Oh, is that what it is? It's protection rather than recognition. It's recognition and protection. So right. I think. Okay. With recognition comes protection, if that makes yes. sense. So, like, you can, it's almost like you know, making a, a big thing out of something. World's trough rather than the local. Yeah, and so it's it. equally, it's a, it's a draw for people saying this is a world heritage site, so more people come and see it yes. and potentially pay to see it, and then more funds to then yeah. keep it going, kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So, that's him, really. I mean, you know, yeah. if you know him, that's the car, you, the castles are kind of like delight people, but they yes. came from a very tortured mind and a yeah, tor- yeah, tortured yeah. time. Yeah. the country tortured mind of the king an interesting similarity there with Tchaikovsky isn't it and actually I think the mm. connection is actually that Tchaikovsky was partly inspired by the swan king yeah. in Swan Lake I'm not sure how much I buy that theory, I know, I know. but it seems like a bit, it's a bit fanciful yes. yeah. I mean it sounds nice it sounds yeah. very neat it's it too neat yeah, yeah, almost yeah. Like too neat to tie um, but, but similar in the sense that they're quite tragic but produce quite beautiful works mm. I suppose um, and I was actually going to say my, um, my final final words on this um, was drawing again that connection between the state, you know, the attitude of Bavaria, the place, or the state, versus Ludwig as the sort of personification of Bavarian attitude, I suppose. It's like, he had a, um, I think one of his sort of courtiers said that um, he had a vivid, vivid imagination, tendency to isolate himself, and his pronounced sense of sovereignty were already evident when he was, uh, when Ludwig was a mere child. Hmm. 
So, that sums them up very well, I think. Yeah, found something sovereign to that bit of that. That's all come on from that comparison. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, any, any yeah. final words from yourself? No, not from me, other than to say we're going to try and do a more happy episode next yeah, time. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, I think it will also be a, um, well, maybe we haven't decided yet, have we? But no. um, a, uh, yeah, like a, we've done quite a lot of person centric ones. Mm. Not, not what we want. We won't talk about people, but um, yeah, maybe some animal centric ones, yeah, maybe some animal-centric ones yeah. um, or maybe cats of the 19th century. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember reading a book called The Great Cat Massacre um, in my uh, my uh, my uh, undergrad. Um, that was 18th century. Oh, well, we can't do that. Um, yeah, Perish the thought. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's between well, 18th century, long 19th century, 1775. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A long 19th century. Um, anyway, as we said. Um, you can sign up for our email email list um, if you want to receive more uh, musings, musings, and curious <laughs> anecdotes, which I'm sure you'll be sure you'll be really interested in if you enjoyed this episode. Um, in which case, probably God help you. But um, uh, you can <laughs> join. You'll be going the same way as Otto. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For slash join uh, for that. Um, you can also play our uh, state. Yeah, the state. Yeah, you can visit all of our episodes episode on our website. Yeah. And we have a quiz there as well. You can find out which 19th century British Prime Minister you were, or would be, or would have been. Could be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or would have been. Future perfect. Um, and uh, look out for our next episode, uh, which will be philosophistory.com slash 30. Coming up soon. Big three. Yeah, I know. It'll be massive. Or as you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes History. If you want more, you can follow our social media posts on at FOH Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. Plus, have you ever wondered what kind of statesman you would be back in the 19th century? Well, now you can find out. Visit the Footnotes of History personality quiz at footnoteshistory.com slash pmquiz.